Welcome to this edition of Code Talk, the concise podcast to help you get to know the National Electrical Code. I'm your host, Frank Seiler, based in Spokane, Washington, and today's episode is Article 230, Services, an Overview. An Overview, why not dive right in? Well, this is one of those articles in the codebook that is so large that they actually give us a roadmap right at the beginning. Plus, we want to lay the groundwork to make sure that we are using the right vocabulary because the word service or electrical service has a different meaning to different people depending on which English-speaking country your electrician may come from. In some parts of the world, when you say, I need an electrical service, you'll point at a point on the wall and they expect a receptacle to appear at that location. That is the definition in uh, some of those uh, other non-North American uh, codes or, or vocabulary for an electrical service. And that is so different than how our code differentiates that term. So under the scope of the article, Article 230.1, we find that this article covers service conductors and equipment for control and protection of services and their installation requirements. But then we have to rely all the way back on uh, the article definitions that we have in Article 100 to be able to get the right understanding of what these terms mean. There is a figure there. We'll get to the figure in a moment. Uh, before that, let's go back to Article 100 and grab those definitions that relate to this article. And when you find them, you find that the word service appears in many of the definitions. They're all bunched together, but of course they're bunched together in an alphabetical order not really so much a logical order or an order that would aid understanding from one to the next to the next definition. And so I'll rearrange the order a little bit. But first, when we look at the definition of the word service, it says that these are the conductors and equipment connecting the serving utility to the wiring system of the premises served. And so if we just take a look at that definition briefly, we realize that if we don't have a serving utility, then we can't have a service. If we make our own power via generator, for example, we will not have a service or a service disconnect. Those are actually feeders. So to have a service, you have to have a utility providing power to the premises. And then there's the next definition that's important, and it's a few down, it's the service point. This is the point of connection between the facilities of the serving utility and the premises wiring. In other words, this is where the utility says, here is where our conductor stops. And you as the electrician or you as the customer, this is where your wire starts. In other words, this is the point of demarcation. In fact, there's an informational note and it says the service point can be described as the point of demarcation between where the serving utility ends and the premises wiring begins. Now who gets to control that? The serving utility generally specifies the location of the service point based on the conditions of service. And so if we're used to how one service company perhaps provides electricity to a structure, when we go to a different location we might find ourselves a little bit blindsided because they might do things differently. Some utilities are also very specific about the equipment that they will terminate in or on. And so sometimes the metering enclosure, the disconnect, 
the type of metering, all of those things are really dictated by the serving utility. So, service point, their wiring stops, ours ends. That is also the point at which our code kicks in. The utility operates not under the National Electrical Code. In most places, they operate under the uh, NESC, or National Electrical Safety Code. That's the utilities code. And at the service point, that's the point of transition. Now, to reach that point, that service point, there could be two kinds of conductors. And so these are on the utility side. They're ahead of the service point. They could come in either underground or overhead. And so if it's overhead, that conductor, our code calls the service drop. It's defined as the overhead conductors between the serving utility and the service point. If it comes in underground, that is termed a service lateral. The underground conductors between the utility electric supply and the service point. So both service drop and service lateral conductors are under utility jurisdiction. Well, what happens once we get past the service point, past the point of demarcation? That transition between utility-owned versus customer-owned wiring. Well, the name changes. And sometimes the size changes, because now we're working under the code's rules. So from that point of demarcation, our code calls those conductors, whether overhead or underground, it doesn't matter. It calls them service conductors. So the conductors up to the point of demarcation, they're not termed service conductors by our code because our code doesn't have language for them. But once we take ownership of the wire, they become service conductors. The definition is the conductors from the service point to the service disconnecting means. Okay. Again, that could happen overhead. It come under, could be underground. Perhaps some of our conductors that we own or the customer owns are external to the structure. Perhaps they're going from a pole to a building or perhaps they're going from a handhole or a vault in the ground to the building. And so we could have either overhead or underground conductors. So service conductors, comma, overhead, the overhead conductors between the service point and the first point of connection to the service entrance conductors at the building or other structure. Service conductors underground, the underground conductors between the service point and the first point of connection to the service entrance conductors in a terminal box, meter, or other enclosure inside or outside the building wall. And then there's a note, because sometimes we might not have a terminal box or a meter or a separate enclosure. Sometimes those conductors will come right into the, the disconnecting means. So it says, where there is no terminal box, meter, or other enclosure, the point of connection is considered to be the point of entrance of the service conductors into the building. We terminate service conductors in service equipment. What does that consist of? It's defined as the necessary equipment consisting of a circuit breaker or breakers, or switches, and fuses, and their accessories connected to the serving utility and intended to constitute the main control and disconnect of the serving utility. And you want to notice that by this definition, the metering equipment and the metering enclosure is not considered as part of the service equipment. That is something extra, something additional. 
Our code really doesn't care that we pay for the electricity, but trust me, the utility does. But in terms of electrical safety, the metering enclosure adds nothing to that. It doesn't provide shock protection, it doesn't provide fire protection. And so it's not considered service equipment. However, the main disconnect, whether it's a breaker or a switch with fuses, that is where the start or the beginning of the electrical protection starts for the electrical system entering the structure. So take some time to review these definitions. Part of the common misinterpretations of Article 230 lie in the fact that we can easily misapply a rule because we think that we know which conductor the code is referring to. But when we actually study the definitions, we realize that perhaps what we thought was a specific conductor is a case of mistaken identity, and really a different rule applies. So now that we've got a, a basis or a foundation with the definitions, we want to look to see what else is in Article 230. And Figure 1 gives us an overview. If you have it available to you, and I'll have it in the, in the notes as well, podcast notes, uh, great. If not, I'll have to try to paint a, a mind picture for you. So taking a look at Figure 1, at the very top, it highlights the parts that we have. There are eight parts with Roman numerals. Part 1 is always going to be general. Part 2 is overhead service conductors. Part 3 is underground service conductors. Part 4 deals with the equipment generally. Um, sorry, Part 4 deals with the service entrance conductors specifically. Part 5 deals with the service equipment generally. Part 6 looks at the disconnecting means of the service equipment. Part 7 at the overcurrent protection. And then Part 8 are services that exceed 1,000 volts. So if we take a look at the one line that's there, at the very top we see an arrow that points toward the serving utility. In my opinion, the arrow should point the other way. We get power from the serving utility, unless we're, we have a buyback metering system. But serving utility, and then on the left-hand side of that graphic, it says if you're coming in overhead, here are the things that you need. You have the last means of support from the overhead uh, supply, and then it turns into overhead service conductors, comes into the service head, and terminates in some kind of a terminal box, meter, or other enclosure. There's a note in the margin. It says Part 2 that's overhead service conductors, and then 230.24, clearances. When we have overhead service conductors, quite often they're open conductors, that is, conductors that are just have one single layer of insulation, and so they're not a cable. And we have some reach ranges, some clearances, some heights, some distances that they have to be kept away from openings inside of the structure. So that's found in 230.24. If we switch over to the other side of the graphic, on the right-hand side, it says, what if you're coming in underground? And so it says, underground street main, that's where our serving utility is going to supply us from, uh, whether it's a handhole or a sectionalizer box or some way that they can send the conductors to our premises. And then, underground service conductors, we find the general rules for them in Part 3. Now, if the conductors are under our jurisdiction, then the depth rules in the National Electrical Code apply. If the conductors are belonging to the serving utility, 
quite often the electrician will put a conduit in or perhaps dig the ditch for it or whatever arrangement he has with the serving utility, and then they dictate how deep that needs to be. If it's under National Electrical Code, 230.32 will point you to 300.5. 300.5 is a table that gives you burial depths. And again, those underground conductors have to come to a terminal box, meter, or other enclosure to be able to be terminated. And then uh, we have other things that attach to them. Okay, and so we come in. Once we're in the structure, generally they're called service entrance conductors. That's part four of Article 230. And then there's a horizontal line. And between that horizontal line and the next horizontal line, often all of these items are in the same enclosure or housing. Not always, but generally we can kind of lump them together. And it's parts 5, 6, and 7. So part 5 is entitled Service Equipment. Some general rules about it. And then, right at that point, it says, hey, we're going to jump out of this article, and we're going to talk about how we electrically protect the service conductors that come in. There's a reference to Article 250, grounding and bonding. At our main service disconnecting means, one of the things that we do is we typically take, if there's a neutral, we take the neutral, bond it to the case, and connect it to a grounding electrode system. There are two stated purposes for grounding a system. Under normal operation, it stabilizes system voltage. It basically grabs the neutral and says, the neutral we're going to have as a ground reference. It's going to have the same potential, even though it's current carrying, it'll have the same potential or voltage as the dirt that we're standing on. Okay, That's under normal operation. The second function of Article 250 for system grounding is to provide a place or a path for an outside overvoltage, perhaps lightning or another high-voltage conductor coming down on our low-voltage system to provide a path to ground. Those are the two stated purposes in Article 250 for us grounding at the electrical service. Part 6 is entitled Service Equipment Disconnecting Means. So this is the mechanical opening or separating our wiring that we have on the structure from the connection to the utility. This is our main. Whether it's a breaker or a fuse doesn't matter. This is the mechanical separation. The next item, part seven, is the service equipment overcurrent protection. And so this is where the sizing of the fuse or sizing the breaker comes in. Overcurrent is too much current. Now, overcurrent can come in various varieties, short circuit, ground fault, and overload. And generally, when we say we provide overcurrent protection, that device provides protection against all three of those items. And so it's at this point, at our main disconnect, that we fully protect the wiring system because our code doesn't consider the wiring system coming from the utility as fully protected. Past this point, past the disconnecting means and overcurrent protection, our wiring system is now fully protected based on our code requirements. Okay, there's another horizontal line here. Because now we've got the service done. We've got our conductors protected, we have a disconnecting means, we have overcurrent protection, we have grounding and bonding. So everything past this point is no longer service. It's either a feeder, 
which we use for distribution. That feeder will land in a subpanel, but the feeder is protected. It has a breaker on it, or it's going to be a branch circuit. So most houses, we have service equipment that is suitable to act as a main disconnecting means. Maybe you've got a 200 amp breaker in the top, then you have a bus bar with individual branch circuit breakers. So essentially there's no feeder there. You'd go directly from service to branch circuits. The branch circuits are covered in Article 210. Feeders are covered in Article 215. We had separate podcasts for those. And in case either one of those takes us back outside of the structure to another building or another thing outside, Article 225 applies. That's outside feeders and branch circuits. And so if we have this graphic in our mind as we're studying different aspects of Article 230, it'll help us to see what is included in the service and what is not. What is part of the utility wiring? What is part of the wiring that is under the National Electrical Code? And it will also help us to kind of differentiate between the parts or the bits and pieces of a service. Rather than putting them all together in one section, the various aspects of the protection each have a different part. Makes it easier to find the rules. It also spreads them out a bit, so sometimes we need two rules together to size the service correctly and size the conductors correctly, yet they're in two different parts. We'll discuss some of that next time. Next time we will look at the equipment portion of a service and what factors play into choosing the right equipment for a particular location. Now, that particular topic has some cost impact changes when it comes to the 2020 code cycle. In Washington State, where I'm podcasting from, we're going to adopt that this summer. And so we'll cover some of those code changes. We'll also highlight a little bit the progression of what we used to do. What we're currently doing, I'm speaking from the perspective of the 2017 code, and where the 2020 code will lead us. So if you found this episode on a site other than our website, please go over to our website, www.inw-training.com. I'll try to post some lecture notes there, and it will give you the graphic and some of the definitions that we talked about. Until next time, this is your host, Frank Seiler, signing off from Spokane, Washington.